This is the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel with Neil Fitzmorris, bringing you all the big news and even bigger views on Liverpool FC. Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of Poetry in Motion with me, Neil Fitz, uh, once again talking all things good and bad with Liverpool Football Club. Thank you very, very much for all your support. Uh, it's always appreciated, all the Blood Red podcasts and Ali LaRouge and all the lads and the lasses there who get in touch and talk about uh, Liverpool. Thank you once again for listening to us and whatever you're doing, I hope you're okay. Um, so, the ups and downs, isn't it? We're down to the most. It's very frustrating because we only ever judge uh, this club, we only can judge this club. By, uh, by their own standards, which have been huge uh, lately. But, of course, um, just, you know, are, are very frustrating at the moment. I'm joined by Pat Smith. How, Pat, how are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad, Fitz. Obviously, a bit depressing the way Liverpool's season is going, and particularly the past week. It's going to be the longest international break, certainly, of my lifetime, I think, isn't it? Not long, or, or possibly not long enough, Joe. Uh, Joe Rimmer is also with me as well, and... Um, yeah, it's a crazy one, mate, isn't it? It's one of these things where we've been here before um, and the, the, the fact that as fans we're watching uh, a Liverpool team put together with sticking plasters um, because of uh, lack of foresight and lack of funding um, is, is all the more annoying, isn't it, John? Yeah, it's um, it's knackering, isn't it? It's been a it's been a dreadful season. I wish you could just do what you used to be able to do on the little champ manager games and hit the space bar and just fast forward it to the end now and, and start again in the summer because it's just I don't know every time you know the Man United game is obviously a big a big boost and you sort of start feeling positive and, and feeling like they might, might, might be turning a corner and then brought crashing back down to reality by Bournemouth and then subsequently Real Madrid so it's just been one of them years and I just want it want it over I want it over 50 <laughs> yeah and, and it's unfortunately the next well between uh, April April the 1st which is no, no April Fool's Day um, well it won't be for us uh, between April the 1st and April the 9th I think we've got Man City Chelsea and Arsenal haven't we so uh, <clears throat> it's not going to get any better um, but you know a lot will say yeah Pat um, yeah, troubles of our own design, mate, um, for one reason or another. Whether or not, you know, I've heard all kinds of stories about, you know, who's to blame and what, whatever. And Klopp's too loyal and Klopp, you know, puts his faith in, in players when he, he should be refreshing the squad and uh, whatever, whatever. It's, I'd like to uh, think that he may, be a, he may be partially to blame. Of course, he's the manager, but just this attitude, isn't it, of let's balance books and let's make sure we make a nice little profit and uh, they're not too worried where they are uh, when it comes to the league. Well, you know, European football is, is gone for this season and uh, there's no guarantee we're going to get it for next season, the way things are going. Besetic is now ruled out for the rest of the season. Um, and then the misery just goes on and on, Pat. I know, yeah, I mean, you know, probably done over 100 podcasts this season and I'd say on 95% of them, there's been complaints about the midfield. You know, the midfield is the problem. We know that it's been the same problem all season and we knew it was a problem in the summer. It goes right back to that Fulham game, doesn't it? When everyone watched that and went, wow, Liverpool need to get a couple of midfielders before the window's over. And yet here we are in the middle of March, out of all competitions, absolutely no chances of silverware. Finishing inside the top four isn't even by no means guaranteed now. It could be a really, really bleak summer for Liverpool coming up because, you know, we talk about the recruitment that's needed, but there's certain players like, look at Jude Bellingham. Is he going to want to sign for Liverpool if they're not in the Champions League? if they've had a trophyless season, if they're massively on the decline. And, you know, Liverpool went to the Bernabeu and started 37-year-old James Milner in a two-man midfield. I mean, it's really, really bleak. And it just sort of encapsulates the fall-off that Liverpool's midfield has had in the space of a year. It's crazy to think this time last year, 
You know, they I think the City FA Cup semi-final was at the start of April. They were chasing trophies on all four fronts. They'd already got one in the bag. And look at them now. You know, there's no hope of any trophies in March already. It's it's really depressing, Fitzy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, we have to, you know, we have to also. I, I, I constantly sort of counterbalance it with the fact that we support Liverpool Football Club and, and, um, uh, and have been you know, given the most amazing times in recent years and 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 beyond. And, and you know, you don't have to look too far across uh, a certain park to realise how really, really um, awful a season can be. But again, we have to keep it real and, and realise that this is the club we support and, and, and through the good times and the bad. And it's unfortunate, Joe, because I just feel like yet again, it's been it's been uh, completely created um, you know, we're, we're troubles of our own design, aren't we? We've had this before with centre backs when we got rid of Dejan Lovren and didn't didn't strengthen the centre back situation. Then they all went out. Yes, we've had terrible injuries and continue to have terrible injuries. Unfortunately, uh, Diaz isn't far too uh, far far away from from making a comeback. But uh, but ultimately, Joe, surely this is about um, just not looking into the future and not and 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 not staying where Liverpool needed to be and and resting on your laurels and we're, and we're paying for a big time. Yeah, I think so. I think Liverpool have a bit of a habit of playing chicken in the transfer market. And it, as you mentioned there with the centre-halves, the year they, they sold Lovren, it sort of almost backfired and they, they pulled themselves back into the Champions League at the end. Um, but, it, but it was still, let's not forget, that was still a, very much a wasted season because if you think about it, they went from being Premier League champions and a canter to, to also runs and, and almost out the Champions League. Um, and then they've done it again this year with the midfield and uh, it, it could result in an even worse disaster and then missing out in the Champions League in, entirely. And I suppose, you know, Pat there mentions the midfield. I've mentioned the midfield already. Um, it never takes long when you talk about Liverpool these days to mention it. But I don't know whether either of you saw Carragher's analysis of, of Trent last night, which I thought was really good, really passionate. But it was something that he said at the end of that um, on CBS about Liverpool's problems spilling over into other areas. And the fact that they've not had the foresight to strengthen the midfield last year, I think you can look at the summer and it's hit other positions so hard now that you're looking across the team going, do they need a centre-back? Probably, yeah, because Gomez looks shot and, and, and Matip looks like he's, he's sort of finished off at Liverpool. And then you've got, they certainly need right back because Trent is, I'm sure we'll talk about Trent in more detail, but it's, it's probably playing his worst football since he broke through. Um, the forward line they've had to change, and they might have to go through more changes. And um, and yeah, it, it it's just spilling into other areas of the team. Even the midfield, we're not talking about one or two; we're talking about three or four. So the the squad might need major, major changes in the summer, more so than anyone thought at the start of the season, even midway through the season as well. So that's a real worry. Um, and yeah, it's just. I just think poor planning and, and, and perhaps hoping that they could get through has really backfired. And um, I'm sure nobody at Liverpool saw this bad a season coming, um, but they've paid the price. Poetry in motion on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, absolutely. And it is, like you say, it's the knock-on effect, isn't it? It's the fact that play, players are having to take on a little bit too much more strain in different areas. And it just seems to be just... It just seems to be like, you know, water on blotting paper. It's just going out and out and out. It's ripples in the ocean, isn't it? It just seems to be stretching and stretching out and stretching out. 
And you looked at uh, Pat. You mentioned off air before we started the, the the difference in strength in the midfield last night between Real Madrid. And, you know, Liverpool still went there, and it, and, it, and it's testimony to to the history Liverpool have got in this competition and beyond. That there was still some hope. You know, even with that Liverpool team going on the pitch, that the the the, the this miracle could happen again. And and then um, and then you know you see you realise that no disrespect to James Milner, but even he would be the first to uh, to admit that he probably didn't realise he would be deep in the midfield uh, against Real Madrid to try and or or having any any of the of the games the the amount of game time that he's had recently I'm not, I would imagine he, he was probably you know uh, expecting to come on the odd last 10 minutes but um when you have a midfield that we had last night against the midfield of Real Madrid when they're already sitting on a three goal cushion um you know it, 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 the differences are, are, are far and wide aren't they let's be honest with you um and it is going to be difficult. I think it's the problem is the Man United game was a bit of a false dawn, wasn't it? Because Man United just completely went apart of the seams. Um, but then, you know, the reality is that uh, the Bournemouth soon followed and, and we realised that um, we just don't have that strength to be able to um, to, to be able to, 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 to push forward uh, from midfield and get those transitions quick enough for the, for the front three or front four. It's difficult um, and uh, it's hard to know. Especially when the ownership come out, you know, near the start of the season and say, well, actually, we're thinking of selling the gaff and then say, well, we're not going to sell it, but we'd like to get £800 million. And who, for a 25% stake or something ridiculous like that, I mean, it's who is going to give up just under a billion quid and have 25% of, of a stake of a club? Um, I would find that remarkable. So, all in all, Patrick, it's... Um, I mean, it's down to FSG, isn't it? Let's be honest with you. They're the only ones who can change the future of what's going on and... And and um, and and fix the hole in the boat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Klopp himself hinted at it in a couple of press conferences that there will be a summer rebuild, a summer war chest as such. And like on the point of James Milner, you know, it's ridiculous. Liverpool are going to the Bernabeu for a Champions League tie, starting thirty-seven-year-old James Milner. But I don't want to criticise him because he shouldn't be in that position, quite frankly. And when he's played this season, he's done a job. He's done a better job than the majority of the other midfielders at the club. So you know, absolutely. No bad mark on his front, but yeah, I mean, they need, I think, at least three or four midfielders. I think Fabinho's shown signs in the past month that he's turned his form around, but the past weeks just showed I don't think he's the man to take Liverpool forward over the next four or five years. I think you could try and look at getting him gone. Thiago's injury problems. Now, it's such a strange one with Thiago because he is the best controller of a football I've seen in a Liverpool shirt in, you know, in my very short experience of, you know, 24 years of such. He's the best controller of a ball, but I don't think he's the best midfielder in a Jurgen Klopp team. I think they're much better off having a Stefan Bicetic, who, as you said, is really unfortunately going to miss the remainder of the season. I think he's been a real breath of fresh air and something that massively turned their form around, actually, in February, March time. But it's, that's going to be a huge loss now for the next couple of months. I'm not sure where they're going to get that dynamism and energy because you need a kid in there at times, I think, to be fearless, to you know, take risks in pressing situations where maybe the form of Henderson, Fabinho, Thiago, as I've mentioned, they've looked a little bit tentative at times to go gung-ho with that Gagan press that we're used to because they're scared of leaving the defence behind because of the defensive problems Liverpool have had this season. So I think, yeah, they need an enforcer in midfield. They need to bring in specific personnel. It needs physicality. It needs, you know, Liverpool have been dominated this season against so many teams in all physical aspects be it distance ran, sprints, duels won, aerial battles. Liverpool have been really, like, literally weak in the midfield. So I'd like to see some physicality brought in with a couple of players. 
And I think they also need some creativity in there. They need a different option. They need someone, I know Harvey Elliott is a pretty good creative option, but someone in the form of Coutinho who can play in midfield. Because when Liverpool, say, against Bournemouth, switch to a 4-2-3-1, I don't think it's that effective having four attackers on the pitch. I think they're better off having three midfielders and three attackers. But it would be nice to have an option in mid- one of those midfielders Someone who's a bit creative, someone who does play further forward, maybe a sort of number 10 role. You look at Martin Odegaard at Arsenal, he plays that sort of role, like a floating 8-10. I think Liverpool need to sign a real quality player of that ilk. Just for those situations where you're facing Bournemouth, they've got a low block, they're parking the bus. You can't just keep lugging long balls or going wide and lugging it into the box to create chances. You need someone in the middle who's got that creative spark. So that's what I'd like to see them bring in. And then obviously, I'm sure we're going to move on to the defence and the work that needs doing there, Fitzy, aren't we? Well, yeah, I mean, we've got no right-back cover. Obviously, that's the most important thing, isn't it? I mean, for the, one of the first points is uh, another centre-back, definitely. I mean, like you say, it's, it's you know, Gomez and Matip, I think, have just they're, just... they're just getting to the point now where they could, they can't be relied upon. That's the only problem, isn't it? And Canate still feels to me sometimes he's got a little tiny jitter in him. Um so, yeah, I mean, you can go right through the team, right? The, the fact that there is no cover for, for Trent uh, is ridiculous. I know um, we did get the, the the young lad who's now injured, thinking out for the rest of the season himself. Um, but it's a, it's, 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 a, it's a bad situation, isn't it? And, and uh, as you said, Joe, uh, Trent uh, having, having the worst, uh, well, in the, certainly in the worst and poorest form since we can remember him first breaking into the side. And, and um, you can sometimes see when he's, he, he sort of wears his condition doesn't he like a badge and sometimes you can see that he's just not in the right frame of mind he's not in the right headspace he's he's a master of delivering footballs and yet when he's not when he's not he's not he does it big time doesn't he and just feels like a little bit of dread running through the team at the moment joe you you've hit the nail there the, of what my my opinion is there i think it's it's massively a mentality thing and, and nobody shows it more than trent and i'd say the other player is maybe virgil van dyke as well but but trent he just looks like a lad who's sort of sick of the criticism and, and probably thinks a bit like a certain other person. Why always me? That type of attitude. Why, why is why is it always me that come cops for the stick when 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 we can see the goal? But it's almost like he's let that spill into his mentality on the pitch and the way he plays. And I, I just think he needs, you know, he needs Klopp to get into him and maybe the summer a little bit of a break. Um, to get away with it, he's not. He's obviously not included in the England squad just now, which I think is a good thing for him because it'll just take him out the firing line a bit. But yeah, I, I, Van Dijk's the other one that I just think. You know, I thought of Bournemouth. I thought, you know, whatever level of footy you've played at, we've all played at the types of people who are, are really great players, but perhaps don't bust the gut on the pitch anymore. But but moan at everyone, and that's how Van Dijk looks to me. He looks like he's he's there having a go at his teammates, but he's also a big part of the problem. And, you know, at Bournemouth, he was exposed more than probably any others for their goal. Yet, sort of looked around and as teammates, like you lot aren't, aren't where they've been on the same pitch as me. And I, I just think his attitude is great when you're playing well, and, and he, he did bring a, a great mindset change to Liverpool when he came in. But I think Liverpool need a bit more of that now, and and that's what new signings can bring as well, isn't it? It's that you know, look at Darwin Nunes when he plays, he doesn't carry the baggage of playing for Liverpool for several years. He comes in with a, you know, never say die, he wants to score goals, he runs at teams, he plays with a bit of a carefree attitude. And, um, you know, that's why I think they need someone like a Bellingham and they need other personalities to come in and just pick all the other lads up. Because right now, 
all of them just look in a bit of a, a tears really for want of a better word. But but Trent, nobody shows that more than Trent. And you know, I'd love to know what's being said in private because he just doesn't he just doesn't look like his mindset is right on the pitch. He looks very moody, very sullen. Um, you know, and, and, and that that's a real worry. And I hope they can get him out of that. Um but then, you know, I was chatting to one of the guys in the, in the office this morning about it and he, he mentioned that Marcus Rash was probably, you could say the same about him last season and look at the way he's picked up this year for United. So, you know, if they can they can get a tune out of Trent and, and get him to sort of turn the corner, I'm sure he'd be fine because he's talented enough and we've seen, you know, how, how good he can be in, in a good team. So, But that's why I think they need new signings. They need new mentality in that squad. They need some fresh... Some, some fresh personalities and fresh voices in the dressing room and you know and big personalities and I'm sure Bellingham is one that they've identified but two or three more of them will, will go a long way. Well it's interesting because you 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 mentioned that I mean as I said there's been no right back cover, real right back cover uh, for Trent. So he has been going toward a lot of the times when you think he would have been best on the bench. I mean Andy Robbo has Tomiscus breathing down his neck which no doubt has, has has been profitable for Liverpool uh, on the pitch because you know he is a really good left back and and uh, and he provides that cover. Um, but Trent's never had it, has he? So that that's a problem. And, and and if your mindset isn't right and you don't get a break, it must be very very hard to climb out of that. But Patrick, you know FSG, are, you know billionaires, or whatever, you're an incredible you know, businessmen and stuff. But when you look at this and you think this is really it's not smart business at all, is it? Because in cutting corners and trying to prune the team down and trying to, you know, maximise profits, you've now got yourselves in a situation where you're going to be spending two or three times more than you would have done initially to try and put together, put together a team again. Because Bellingham on his own is going to be over 100 mil or close to. Um, and that's just one player. We need three or four now because of the things that Joe's just highlighted. The fact that the lack of form... Uh, and the lack of ability in this team has started to spread outwards and and, and, and and is affecting other areas. So, you know, Nunes, yes, tick. Diaz, tick. Salah, to a certain extent, yeah, of course you do. Otherwise, oh, but he has been very predictable for me lately. And, you know, he, he just gets parked out wide and, and then cuts inside and, and, and there are times. His passes are getting intercepted so many times now, it is ridiculous. Time and time again, he, not, he needs to knock a ball across and, he, and, and someone just puts a foot in. Um so you know you've got you've got probably half a dozen players. I mean, without without uh, Allison, let's face it, where would we be right now? I mean, you know, and, <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and he's been monumental. Um, so you know, as far as the business model is concerned, uh, this is how not to do it, isn't it? Because they're now in a situation where um, the war chest is going to have to be three times as much as it was. I mean, that's the main problem because Jamie Carragher's point he was making on CBS last night was someone needs to be challenging Trent, and it maybe needs to be a more defensive-minded right back. But we all know the priority for Liverpool this summer needs to be a midfielder. So let's say Jude Bellingham, probably going to cost 130 million at least. They'll need at least another midfielder, probably around the 40 million mark, maybe another one for the 20, 30 million mark. So that's already more than 200. I think they need a centre half as well. You know, then you're pushing 250. How much money does that leave for a right back? You know, it's not much. And if you're getting someone who's going to be of enough quality to challenge Trent, A, they're going to cost a lot of money, which there might not be the budget for, and B, you know, if you want a good enough right back to play for Liverpool, who's going to want to accept coming to this Liverpool team and being an understudy to Trent effectively? You know, it's going to be difficult enough convincing players to join Liverpool with, after a trophyless season, even if they're not in the top four, God forbid. But then you're saying to that player, oh, by the way, yeah, you're going to be the one that pushes Trent. You're not going to be starting for us. 
I think it's going to be very difficult to recruit players that are willing to take that role on, to be honest. And then obviously someone who would be accepting of that role may not be actually good enough to play for Liverpool. So you could just face the exact same problems you have with Trent. It's a really difficult one. Um, I'm off the top of my head. I'm not sure who you recruit in that sense at right back, but I think definitely a more defensive option would make sense. But then on the flip side of that, you can't want Liverpool to go back to their classic Gagan pressing attacking way. You know, Trent was brilliant for those four or five years when he could attack, when Liverpool dominated possession, dominated teams. And I think if you do turn the midfield around and sign a couple of players, let's say you get Jude Bellingham in, Josko Gvardiol of Leipzig, the Croatian centre-back, has been linked as well there. He's a fantastic player. I think he'd suit Liverpool really well. Even just those two coming in, I think all of a sudden, and the confidence boost that could give Trent when he's not defending all the time, when he's not being called out, when he's not making sloppy passes, because it's such a confidence thing at the moment. It goes back to the point I was making on the midfield. They're just not taking risks because their confidence has been dented this season. I mean, you know, obviously I don't know anything and I'm <laughs> not a coach and I would never want to criticise a elite level footballer's attitude. But there's times this season psychologically where Liverpool do look beat. You know, you look at the Bernabeu last night, they weren't taking any risks. I mean, you know, it's so strange to see. You want to see someone with a bit of fight, a bit of desperation. It's very patient and very calm football at the times. And I think they're all a bit cautious to take those risks. And Trent, make a risky run, make a risky pass. It's just very safe at the moment because I think they're scared, honestly, of the backlash that they've been receiving all season. And I think it's just snowballing into quite a toxic situation that I really hope can be resolved. But um, yeah, I'm not sure if buying someone that's going to challenge Trent is the answer. I think the minute you sign players in midfield and that transforms and maybe in the centre-half, then I think Trent's fortunes will definitely turn around. And I think the point Joe made there, however, in the office made it about, you know, Rashford's season last year, he's facing similar criticism, playing with his head down effectively, which I think Trent's done all season, if we're being honest. He's been a head-down player, hasn't he? He's looked a shadow of his former self. Hopefully, he can turn his fortunes around. I think Jude Bellingham, if he does decide to come... Albeit that's going to be a tricky task. Could hope to change that around. Poetry in motion on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, but the, the the only the only problem I think staying on is there is the players you mentioned there at the top. Uh, you were probably talking about you know 250 million pounds worth of football, and and um, you could argue that Marcus Rashford's um, form uh, has come back around. Um, because of players like Casemiro and and, and and the war chest that Man United were given to strengthen up, which was probably around about 250 million quid. The big problem is, when have Liverpool ever gone anywhere near spending 250 million quid? I mean, our answer to our answer to putting some pressure on on Trent was to buy Calvin Ramsey, who was a, a you know a very very young kid uh, who came with an injury, had an operation, got injured again, um, and never really looked likely to go anywhere near challenging Trent. Never really. But he's never he never really took to the pitch much, did he? If at all, um, it's a bit it, it's it's a it's a bit of a, a nightmare, Joe, isn't it? When you consider the you know the the reality of this is that Aaron Haaland scores five goals in the night, but he costs two hundred million quid. And the reality of it is, you don't have to obviously spend those great amounts of money, but you have to start spending some kind of money to try and get a return out of this football club and, and, and the players were after Jude Bellingham if, if he's one thirty, then you are looking at upwards of two hundred million pounds worth of spending that this club has never in its history ever done and certainly hasn't with these owners. Perhaps not. I, I, I have got a feeling they will spend big this summer because if you think about it, you, you've got Firmino 
who's who's one of the highest earners coming off coming off the wage bill. Oxlade Chamberlain will be a higher earner off the wage bill. Cater off the wage bill again, higher earner. Milner might go off the wage bill, and then then they might sell people, mightn't they? So those are just the players leaving on a free. So so there are big money. There is big money coming off the wage bill. Not, Liverpool have got one of the highest wage bills in the league, haven't they? So if they can get that money off the books, then hopefully they can reinvest that. Um, plus, you would think there is money there because they did try and sign to Shemeni, um, who went to Real Madrid last summer. So, you know, there should be money there. And, and you know, if they don't sign Bellingham after a year of openly courting him, um, it would be a bit of a PR disaster for both the, the owners, but I think the manager as well, who's spoken openly about him. Um, it, so I think there must be well-placed confidence that they, they they stand a really good chance of getting him. So I think I think they will be. What I want to see them do is, is make some of the, the clever signings that they've made. You know, you, you want the headline players like Bellingham, don't you? But some of the clever signings they've made in the past, you know, Matip on a free, Milner on a free, Shakiri for for a small fee. You know, these are the types of players that would come in and complement the bigger players like the the Van Dykes and the you know the the Manes, the Salas, and the 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 big money signings. And they would buy people that complement them that would play their part that would that would be squad players. And I don't think we've seen them do that in recent years. I think I think they've signed a lot of young players, and and they've signed people to go into the first team, but they've not signed anyone in the middle. And that that's one of my biggest issues. Liverpool just haven't refreshed. The, the wider part of the squad. You know, Oxley Chamberlain hasn't looked like really doing anything at Liverpool for the best part of two years. Yet there he is coming off the bench last night as they chased four goals um, against Real Madrid. Naby Keita, we can say the same. You know, he's never done it for Liverpool. So why, why have Liverpool let it get to a situation where his contract's running out? And they, they obviously think that, that little Naby Keita now that he can't even get in the team when they've got nobody fit and they'd rather start Milner in a two-man midfield remained on the bench last night, and and that's where that's the area I just can't understand why they've not sold players, and perhaps some of them players have been on too high wages and they can't move them on. But why haven't they moved Oxley Chamberlain on and brought in a I don't know off the top of my head like a James Ward-Prowse those types of players? So it'd be interesting to see what type of players they buy in that area this summer because they're going to need the headline grabbing ones, but they're going to need a lot of squad players. And quality ones that, that, that can do a job when they're, when they're required. So, um, but but I think they must have a bit of money sitting in a pot somewhere, and, and they must have money coming in from these wages because um, to let all those big names go, um, you know, is is, is going to free up a lot on the wage bill. Yeah, and I think I read somewhere that they are turning a profit. They are turning profit. So I mean, it's it's a crazy one, isn't it? Because obviously Michael Edwards isn't there now, and, and that trifecta that we had have all gone. Um, and uh, and it's a lot of responsibility, a lot of responsibility on the shoulders of, of uh, whoever's in charge of of signing players. And, and uh, as Joe's just said, the players, those really clever little signings. And and the last time we did spend big, we spent big off the back of selling big. So um, it's 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 a tricky one for whoever's who is in the hot seat now for for, for sporting director type wise or is, is in charge of the players. Patrick, do we know? I mean, I mean, the point I was going to make as well on Joe talking about Chiumeni, I was going to maybe give some praise to Liverpool's recruitment that, OK, they didn't get that player, so they're, they're patient, they're going to wait till the next window to buy the right player. But that's simply not the case because they went and got Artemelo as well, didn't they, on a free, which is the strangest transfer I have ever seen. I think, I mean, what was the point in bringing Artemelo in? He's really poor on the pitch, I think, from what I've seen. I don't want to discredit him too much because I've not seen that much of him. But from what I've seen, I'm really not impressed. 
and they're you know paying Juventus basically to have a player in a luxury hospital, shall we say, down at Kirby. It's a really strange scenario. But yeah, I mean, I don't know what it means, Fitzy. I mean, the policy before was always sell to buy with other clubs. Now you look at the funding that's going into Newcastle now, and they're going to be chasing European football, which means they can spend more. Chelsea have spent so much under Todd Bowley. Spurs, if they don't make the top four, even if they do, Daniel Levy's going to have to spend a lot of money. All the clubs around Liverpool have been spending and will continue to keep spending. And, you know, the fortunes need to change with FSG. They need to seriously start investing now because we've said this so many times, but they will fall behind very quickly and a lot quicker than they think because there's lots of players with contracts expiring at Liverpool this year. There's quite a few big names next year as well. And if they don't bring the right people in, they could be in a really, really dangerous situation where it could look very bleak very quickly. Um, I mean, it's just a mess fits at the moment, isn't it? I really, really hope that maybe you look at Chelsea spending in January where they spread the cost of players over several years. I think that might be the best way for Liverpool to go about it this time. Because let's say Jude Bellingham, you put him on a seven-year deal and you spread the cost over seven transfer windows at least. You know he's going to be a quality enough player that it's worth the risk. Whereas, you know, Chelsea, for example, signing Mudrick and Enzo Fernandes for over £100 They are risky signings. I don't think Liverpool's recruitment is, you know, the same scattergun approach where they'll just take a punt on young players over £100 million. I think they'll be very clever with it. And if they spread the cost, that's possible they will spend 300 odd million. I mean, it's ridiculous me saying this because I think we all know, realistically, that's never going to happen. I'm just, you know, forecasting the frustrating summer window it could be when they signed Jude Bellingham and maybe no one else. I mean, it really wouldn't surprise me at this point, would it? We've seen it happen so many times. I hope I'm wrong in that sense, but if history is anything to go off, it could be another very frustrating summer with the way things are going with FSG sale of the club. Poetry in motion on the Blood Red Channel. Well, that's the thing, Joe, isn't it? He just hit it right on the head, Patrick. There is if we just if, if we're lucky enough to get you, Bellingham, and that's 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 a big if, and and then and then it's well, that's all you can have. Then all you're doing is you're bringing a, a really really good player into a really really bad situation, and that. He's not the he's not the, the he's not the only answer. He's he's one of the answers, but he's not the only answer. And and it wouldn't take long for a player of Jude Bellingham to start looking distinctly average if the players he's playing with are all knackered and haven't been replaced. Very, very dangerous football to playing really at the moment. And Arthur Mello, I mean, you mentioned, is one of those extraordinary signings that you clearly know has had nothing to do with Jurgen Klopp. This was, you know, some sort of appeasement at the last minute. Uh, saying, you know, we've got this bloke for nothing. Um, and, uh, and you know, and it's the Ben Davis situation, isn't it? Where, you you know, you take a kid who's doing really well at Preston, he was their star player. And you kind of, you know, you waste a whole season of his life, his career, and then flog him to Celtic. And, 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 and he doesn't even get on the pitch, you know, because, because clearly Klopp didn't have much to do with that signing either. And uh, and he, he doesn't have a lot to do with signs that he hasn't had uh, any kind of information on or he's, he's been behind in any way. So Arthur Mello just continues to be, you know, he's your sort of blueprint for what is going on at the moment, I think, at Liverpool, isn't he? When you, when you look at that kind of misinformation and that kind of clumsy, silly rhetoric that's going through the club at the moment where they're just sort of, they're just putting plasters on gunshot wounds and saying, you know, this, this guy's been all right once or twice. He, used to, he was at Barcelona. Let's get him. It's just not right, Joe, is it? And it, it's, it, it is a huge problem. And we're thankful at the moment that Spurs and Chelsea are going through a bit of a transitionally dodgy period themselves. But I don't think it's going to get long before Chelsea start clicking. Uh, and that's another position we'll be fighting for. So um, it's just 
bonkers, mate, isn't it? I mean, I can't even put my finger on what's going on, but it's a terrible business, Joe, isn't it, at the moment? I don't, I don't know whether I'm, you know, sort of ebb and flow, but I don't know whether I'm quite as negative as as, as some people about Liverpool. I didn't think they played that badly last night. I thought they, they come up against a very good team and, and it was always going to be difficult. And, and I do think... You know, I think it could go the other way. I think you're saying that they could buy Jude Bellingham and he could go into a really poor team. But I think they could also buy Jude Bellingham and he could get all the others around him playing again um, by just injecting a bit of freshness in terms of mentality and, and skill into the into the team. You know, Arthur Mello is one of them. I think it was just a total panic buy. I think it does betray some poor planning last year. They obviously thought, oh, we need a body who's available he was available. They went for him and Klopp saw, took one look at him and said, he's nowhere near good enough. He's not what I want. Just like you said, it's just frozen him out ever since. But I do think that was poor. But I don't know. It's a really bad analogy, but I kind of think like Liverpool's like if you get an allotment and there's a few nice plants in there, a few flowers, but there's loads of weeds and debris and, you know, but you could clear it out, plant a few nice flowers alongside the ones you've got and pull out the weeds and the, the seeds that you've got grown into all the nice flowers. And the, the garden looks great, doesn't it? Or, you know, you don't you don't plant nice flowers, you don't deal with it well, and the, the seeds don't grow. And that's a really bad analogy, I know. But you know, I, I still think there's there's plenty in this team that that could could still excel going forward. I don't think the likes of you know trends are finished by any means. Virgil Van Dijk the same. Kanate I think is a good player. The goalkeeper's great. Robertson has still got a lot going for him. And then the forward line we've seen against United that when they click. They can still take teams apart. We've not seen Diaz in months. So there's plenty to be positive about. I just think a really bad season has been allowed to grow and grow and get worse. And and like you said, you know, the, the ink blot on the page is, is just, you know, it, it's it's spreading throughout the club and they just need to arrest that quickly. And hopefully with a couple of signs in the summer, they can do that and wipe it clean and, and they'll be okay. But maybe that's just a glass half full way of looking at it. Jeez, John, I'm getting on, but you don't have to make allotment analogies. You know what I mean? Um, no, you know what, mate? I think you're absolutely right. I think, I think, it, I think there is a problem sometimes with the negativity of it all, and I think I can be as guilty as everyone else. You're absolutely right. I, 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 I totally agree with what you just said. Um, you should have thrown in a few turnips, I think. But I, um, I think that uh, I think you're right. I think, I think, um, you know, listening to what you just said is absolutely right. And one player can. And if you look at that front line of you know, Salah. I mean, you, you know, you've got Nunes and Salah. They're, they're recording figures that aren't far away. I mean, until Haaland got five the other night, Salah was the, was the lead goal scorer in, in European football, wasn't he? Or he certainly was from the Premiership. So, uh, you're right. You're absolutely right. It's difficult sometimes to raise to, 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 to see that half full glass, but we have to look at it that way. And you're right. A, a really strong marauding midfielder and, and someone who can do a bit of dog work as well. Um, and and suddenly that team, you saw it with the United game, didn't you? You saw an energy level that just came from nowhere. Uh, and it came through belief and confidence and everything that Liverpool hit went in the back of the net. And when that happens, they suddenly start running faster, don't they? They well, suddenly can, start playing with more heart. Yeah, if I can just jump in again, that, you know, on that, you look up someone like Gakpo, he came in and I, I, I'd written Gakpo off after... Two games, I was like, God, what have they bought here? But then you look at him in the United game and some of the other games around that, and he looks a really handy footballer, intelligent, can play in a couple of different positions. You can see, you know, he's he's got he's got a good eye for goal. He plays a bit like Firmino when he drops deep. So, you know, that there are flashes of real quality, and if if they can get 
him playing consistently, then they'll be okay, won't they? It's just whether they can do that. But I, I think if they get a couple of good signings in and they get them right, then other players around them will really pick up. And Nunes, I, I, I still think Nunes is, is just ready to explode. He's already had a decent season, but he could have a really, really good season and a better team. Yeah, absolutely, mates. Patrick, we have to turn it around. And we just have, I think that's a good analogy for the for this podcast, to be honest with you. It started, <laughs> as podcasts do, talking about being knocked out of our favourite cup and the cup that we have a huge history with, by a team that we have a history with, let's be honest. Um, and you do feel bad, don't you? You start these things by going, oh, my God, you know, woe is us. But Joe's just, I think, really filled the glass again for me. Um, he's right. You know, we've got Gakpo, we've got Nunez, we've got Diaz. We've got Jota, we've got Salah, we've got Allison, we've got Van Dijk. We've got the spine and most of the team there. We just need those last little pieces coming in. Yeah. A couple of little players and we're fine. And again, it's just about just trying to navigate through this difficult season, isn't it? We've got, I know we've got three big games coming up. Chelsea, uh, uh, as I say, are in a, a, a bit stagnant. Maybe they're on the, on the rise a little bit again, but they're not undoable. Um, you know, City is City. And, um, and Arsenal, they're all games that we can win if we just or certainly keep close... And then it's just about getting that together and getting that business going and, and, and we're back in it, mate, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, no, the point that you're making there about um, the midfield and such, I think they're, they're weirdly up for those big games like Man United. That's when you see Liverpool at their best, when it's all on the line, it's a massive game. That's when Liverpool have been really good this season, actually. You think back to the 2-0 win away at Spurs, beat City at home, beating United 7-0, obviously. You know, it really wouldn't surprise me. I'm just having a quick look at the fixtures there. You know, if they... Let's say from City, Chelsea and Arsenal, they get seven points and then they go and lose to Leeds and Forest the week after that. I mean, it really wouldn't surprise you, would it, the way this season's gone? Um, I mean, it's just a massive, massive week, that one straight after the international break, isn't it? Those matches in the space of nine days. I mean, there's going to be so many cringy, you know, quotes saying it's season-defining, but I think it truly is a season-defining week for Liverpool. If they can come out of that period unscathed, I think is the word I'll use, you know, let's say... Worst case scenario, maybe five points, two draws and a win. I mean, that's really optimistic with the way they've been going. But in those big matches, they have done well. I uh, hope they can somehow bring that energy that they had against Man United because it was flat against Bournemouth. It granted an early kickoff. It was always going to be a tricky one against the bottom of the table side. Real Madrid are Real Madrid. They've not Liverpool out. I think it's something like five of the past six or seven years in the Champions League. Liverpool always lose to them. And they're, you know, a force at home in the Champions League. I don't think we can be too upset with that one. But, I mean, yeah, I just really hope they use these two weeks wisely. We've been to so many Jürgen Klopp press conferences this season where he said, we've had a good week in training, we've got loads of work done, we've worked on whatever, the pressing, whatever it may be, and then they've been turned over at the weekend. I really, really hope they can use these couple of weeks now to identify those problems, maybe make some tactical tweaks. And, you know, who knows what will happen without Stefan Bicetic. I think they really will miss him, actually, towards the end of the season. With midfield numbers running thin, maybe he will start going for this 4-2-3-1 formation. Because you'll have Luis Diaz. He's been out training this week and individually. We expect he'll be back in action in April. Granted, it's going to take him a while to be back in. Thiago Alcantara, as well, is going to be returning. Thiago, obviously, an amazing player. Someone who I, you know... Going on popular for slightly criticising at the start of the podcast. I'm not sure he's the man for Liverpool's future in the midfield, but he's certainly going to be handy in those matches, isn't he? Against City, Arsenal, and Chelsea, it's where the clock will take the risk and throw him in. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Time has beaten us, unfortunately. Sorry, but um, uh, I, I know Joe, you want to reiterate that. Um, 
It, it is, isn't it? It's one of those ones where it's a frustrating one. We have to look through our fingers at times, but we will hopefully turn things around, get people back on the pitch that need to be back on the pitch, um, do a bit of adjustments, and then um, and then and then rebuild. It is a rebuilding job. Uh, boys, thank you very much, Joe. Really appreciate you uh, you coming on, mate. Uh, short notice as well, and uh, and giving up your time for us. Cheers, Fetty. Nice to see you, mate. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, mate. I'm going back to the allotment. And listen, um, <laughs> and thank you for restoring my glass because you did genuinely restore my glass. It's half full again now. And uh, Patrick, thank you very much, mate, for your time. Fitzy, pleasure as always. Great to have the pod back on track. And I uh, hope you don't find the international break too long. No, well, just long enough to get us back on track, hopefully. That's it uh, for us. Listen, if anything can be learned from this podcast we've just done, listen to my voice and the way me more than anyone probably sounded at the start of this to what it is now. Uh, a little bit of Joe Rimmer, um, a little bit of a Joe Rimmer injection of enthusiasm was what I needed, I think. Uh, and, uh, and they've let you out the basement as well, haven't they? They've let you out the basement. They've let you out the basement. Yes. Yeah, I'm, in, I'm on the roof now. It's great. <laughs> yeah. I'm from one end to the next. Yeah. Uh, no, absolutely, mate. Uh, just let's uh, onwards and upwards. We have to just navigate ourselves through tricky water sometimes. Um, and we will get down to the other side and we'll start doing what we do best once again. Thank you to Patrick. Thank you to Joe. This is Neil Fitz. This has been Poetry in Motion. Keep the faith, Reds, and uh, we'll get things back on track soon. See you next time. You've been listening to the Poetry in Motion podcast on the Blood Red channel.